All right. Good morning. Welcome to Prairie View. My name is Joshua. I'm one of the elders here at Prairie View, and it is a great privilege to be preaching here again. It has been a long time since I've had this opportunity. Every six or seven weeks, Ben likes to take a week out of the pulpit and uh, focus on some of the other tasks that come with being the pastor here. And over the last year, that pattern has gotten rather stretched because we've been uh, without a full staff. Ben has been handling all of the uh, youth material with uh, David and James, and I've been coordinating all the worship stuff and working with all the guest worship leaders that we've had come through here. So we are definitely glad that Mark and Kenny are here as our worship minister and youth minister, respectively. Good work with the welcome. That went very smoothly. So we are in transition again as those guys are getting settled in. And these moments of transition in a church's life are great opportunities to uh, stop and reflect and uh, examine where we are, get reoriented before we strike off down the road again uh, with confidence and clarity in our direction. I'm sure you've all had the experience of driving on a highway journey down the highway, staring through the windshield, and your mind is a million miles away. And all of a sudden you have that flash of realization that I don't know where I am. And I don't know where I'm going. And is that my exit? And I better play this really cool because I don't want Erin to realize that I have no idea what's going on. Because she doesn't appreciate it when I turn to her and say, hey, where are we going? What are we doing? That doesn't, that doesn't go very well. So before you come to the conclusion that I'm lost right now, let me tell you what we're going to do this morning. Ben has given me an open week. I get to pick my own text and topic. And over uh, the last year, I've had a couple of sermon ideas rolling around, taking shape in my head. Now, one of them will save for later. One of them will do today. This last year, I've been working on the worship stuff. And worship is not something that we've taught on for quite a long time here at Prairie View. So that is what we're going to do this morning. Everybody's got opinions on worship. Scott Klein was here for a while, and he provoked a lot of opinions on worship. Jeff Stearns provoked a lot of different opinions on worship. Now we've got Mark here, and it is safe to say that he's going to provoke a lot of opinions as well. I've been involved in worship leadership since 1995, and so I have a lot of opinions as well. Now, it goes without saying that, of course, my opinions are the correct ones. Before the rest of you people, how are you supposed to figure out which opinions are good and which are bad? Which do you want to uh, cling tightly to and which should you just release? Is everybody's opinion equally valid? No matter where they're coming from, or is that how we make decisions on worship? Is it through uh, consensus and shifting momentum, or, or might God have something to say on the topic? In fact, God has a lot to say on the topic, and to cover everything that he had to say would be a nine-part sermon series. And Colin Smith up at the Orchard in Chicago preached that sermon series. It was a good one. You could also write a 303-page book on the subject. And not say everything that there is to say, but Bob Coughlin has beaten you to it. And if you're interested in worship, not just worship leadership, I recommend that to you. And we'll come back to Mr. Coughlin in a little while. Now, for this morning, uh, when we talk about worship, sometimes we mean just the singing. You know, Kenny said we're going to finish with our announcements and get back to our worship. Sometimes we're talking about just the singing. Other times we talk about the whole worship service because God is glorified in the way that we hear and respond to the preaching of his word. Sometimes we talk about worship as the whole of our Christian life being lived to God's glory. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual worship. But for this morning, worship is going to mean the narrow definition. God's people 
gathered together at the same time in the same place to actively praise him through music and song. What does God have to say about that and what does it matter? We're going to gather four principles from the scriptures, apply them to ourselves here, especially uh, with Mark beginning his ministry here. So before we turn to the scriptures, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to uh, open your word, preach to your people. Pray that uh, Ben and everybody else who's away this week is having uh, safe travels and has the opportunity to uh, gather with a different congregation and worship you there. I pray that uh, the words that I speak would be uh, true and spoken with uh, sensitivity and clarity, and I pray that they would be uh, heard in the manner in which they are given, or better, and that uh, you will be at work through your word this morning, as you have promised to be. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Turn to John 4. I will join you there momentarily. Now, how many of you know the names Nadab and Abihu? Do not be ashamed if you do not. They are rather obscure Old Testament characters. Nobody's naming their kids after them either. How about... Ananias and Sapphira. They are in the book of Acts. They are slightly less obscure. They show up in Acts chapter 5. What do those three gentlemen and lady all have in common? God killed them because of their worship. They did something in a worship service and God killed them because of it. So our very uh, first principle here is that God cares how he is worshipped. I sent you to John 4. We're going to come back to what it was that happened with those folks momentarily. But first, let's start in John chapter 4. This is Jesus speaking to a woman who has a religious background, some, but her life currently is governed by sin. They said a lot. We're going to look at two verses, 23 and 24. Jesus speaking. The hour is coming. And is now here. When Jesus is speaking, the hour is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So there's two key words there, right? Spirit and truth. To worship in spirit means not just the external performance of religious rituals, but to be uh, actively engaged with your whole soul, your heart and your mind and your will in the worship of God. And to worship in truth meanings, means worshiping God as he truly is, as he has revealed himself in the scriptures, in Christ, through the spirit, and not worshiping God as we would wish him to be. John Piper puts it like this. Spirit and truth correspond to the how and the whom. Worship must be vital and real in the heart, and worship must rest on a true perception of God. Now, Nadab and Abihu failed to worship God in truth. They were genuine in their desire to worship God. God had brought his people out of the land of Egypt using his great servant, Charlton Heston. And they were gathered in the wilderness, and God had given them the Ten Commandments and then preached on that last summer. Number one, worship me only. No other gods. Number two, worship me correctly. Don't go using your imagination, coming up with a bunch of idols, false conceptions of me. Worship me correctly as I have revealed myself. And then come the next eight commandments and then 25 chapters, very detailed, very clear instructions on how the people are to worship and the place that they are going to worship. Build a tent, a tabernacle with a curtain and an altar and an ark and tools and equipment and gear and robes and priests. Very detailed, every detail 
pointing to Jesus Christ. They had the tabernacle and the ceremonies pointing to Christ. We have Christ himself. And Nadab and Abihu thought, hey, this is great, but let's do it differently. Let's take what God has said and do something else. And God burned them on the spot at the very first worship service. If you read Leviticus 10, it's not even clear what it is that they did that was wrong, just that it was strange or foreign. We don't know. Maybe their gear and tools and equipment weren't properly inflated. We just can't tell by looking at the scriptures. Now, Ananias and Sapphira were not worshiping God in spirit. They were doing the right activities, but their hearts were someplace else. Acts 2, 3, and 4, God pours out his spirit on the church. The church is born. The apostles are preaching. The apostles are healing. The apostles get put in prison and released, and the church is growing. And the people are caring for each other, especially uh, being generous. There's a culture of generosity with those who are truly in need. And Ananias and Sapphira see this, and they think, hey, we would like to be perceived as generous. So they sold some of their property which is good. And they gave some of that money to the church, which is good. But because they wanted to be seen as generous and keep some of the money for themselves, they pretended they had given it all, but kept some for themselves. And they couldn't have it both ways. It reminds me, I was told that it reminded me of a time when Erin was in middle school and she and her mother would drive to the Krispy Kreme that used to be in Castleton on 82nd Street and they would go and they would bring home for the family a hot, fresh box of beautiful donuts. And that is you know, thoughtful and kind and generous, right? Well, what they never told anybody at home is that while they were bringing home one box, they each ate an entire box of donuts on the way home, an entire box, each of them. So they appeared generous at home, but nobody realized they're actually getting way more for themselves. Now, it's funny when Aaron is being a glutton, right? But for Ananias and Sapphira, God killed them on the spot, too, and the people were terrified. So God cares how he is worshipped. In our day, this applies to us, too. In our day, we are tempted to... Uh, construct a God of our own imagination to create him in our image rather than the other way around. And we say things like, I like to think of God as, well, stop, don't, don't do that. That is not a good thing to do. Don't recast God according to your own imagination. The Bible is our authority for teaching and practice. That is one of our values here at Prairie View. So know him and learn about him and read about him in his word. Worship him in truth. But we also have the temptation, on the other hand, to know him and learn about him and gather information about him and never be impacted by what it is that we are learning. It is possible to sit through a sermon like last week's on David and repentance and all the horrible things that he did and how God brought him back and never be overcome with the terrible reality that I am a sinner. God is so holy. God sent Jesus, his son, to die for my sins. Who does that, right? Don't be unaffected by information acquired concerning God. Piper also wrote this. True worship comes from people who are deeply emotional and who love deep and sound doctrine. This doesn't mean that everybody is equally sentimental, but it does mean whatever emotional capacity you have, it is fully invested in your relationship with God. Jesus said this. This people honors me with their lips, 
but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. They're doing this stuff. They show up on Sunday morning. They stand, they sit, they sing, they eat, they drink, they listen, they leave. But they are disengaged. Their heart is far away. Their worship is vain, empty. So first principle, God cares how he is worshipped. Second, worship is a response to God's person and his work his person who he is in his nature his character and his work what he has done what he is doing and what he has promised yet to do now there are a wide range of possible responses based on whatever it is you're looking at that week we just finished a series on prayer and we started in second samuel chapter 7 where god gives extraordinary promises to david and david's response is one of awe. He is in awe of God's generosity and his graciousness and his faithfulness. And that is the appropriate response. Last week, we were in Psalm 51. And let's go there next. Back to Psalm 51. David had sinned badly. High profile, big consequences, broad impact sin. This was not a small deal. After God pursued him and convicted him of his sin, David pleads for forgiveness. And he pleads confidently because he knows the character of the God that he is pleading to. He knows that God has already promised to send a redeemer to save us from our sins. That was one of the promises that had left him so in awe in the first place, was that Jesus is on the way. Because he knows God's character and God's work, he responds in worship. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17 and watch. Watch as the verses go by. God is going to do something, or David is going to ask God to do something, and then there's going to be a corresponding response of worship. Starting in verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation, uphold me with the willing spirit, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. I can't just do the religious stuff. Got to worship in spirit and truth. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Worship is a response to God's revealed character and work. That's the second principle. The third is that God is always at work through his word, especially when we gather together for worship. If certain conditions are met, right? If we gather to listen to a sermon and then sing Ring Around the Rosy, God is not going to be at work in the same way as if we gather to hear a sermon and then sing another round of Let Everything That Has Breath Praise the Lord. Let Everything That Has Breath Praise the Lord. Praise you in the morning, praise you in the evening, praise you when I'm young and when I'm old. Praise you when I'm laughing, praise you when I'm grieving, praise you every season of the soul. If we could see how much you're worth, your power, your might, your endless love, then surely we would never cease to praise you. Matt Redman writes songs that are filled with scripture. There's at least three psalms in that number right there. So what is it that makes worship songs worshipful? It's when they are filled with truth about God and coupled with proper responses of the heart. Paul says this in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, 
teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So notice, we're worshiping in truth. We have the word of Christ that is dwelling in us richly. And we are worshiping in the spirits because it is with thanksgiving and thankfulness that we are worshiping. And the vehicle for that is the music, singing and addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Don't try to untangle or distinguish those categories. Paul says, use them all. He puts it uh, slightly differently in Ephesians 5. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Don't follow your physical appetites. Follow your spiritual appetites. Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart. Now pay special attention there. We are addressing one another with our songs. I sing in your presence, you sing in my presence, and if we both sing loudly enough, then neither one of us can hear how poorly the other one is doing. But what we can hear is the truths that are being expressed and the responses that they generate. The singing and the making melody to the Lord is in the heart. We address one another with our voices, but the making melody is to the Lord. Maybe you think that you sing poorly and that you're doing us all a favor by singing with a puny voice. Well, men in particular, you are wrong and you need to sing like you mean it and sing with the conviction that what you are saying is true and it is helpful to each other and that the one you are singing about is praiseworthy. Almost everything we do on a Sunday morning, we can do better at home by ourselves with a Bible open and podcasts on, except except the community aspects of what we do here, especially singing and addressing one another with spiritual songs. God is at work through our song time when our songs are filled with truth about him and sung from the heart. That leads to the last fourth major principle before we turn to application. Music is a good gift from God, and it is uniquely human. It is one of the aspects of being made in God's image that we have music as an art form. We have song and we have speech. Uh, Animals have song, some of them, and animals have speech, some of them. But nobody has both except for humans. If you've had a dog, then you've been spoken to, right? Welcome home. I love you. Feed me. I love you. Let's go out. I love you. I ate your slippers. I love you. And if you've had a cat, you've been spoken to as well, right? Serve me. Go away. Leave me alone. I tolerate you, right? But only humans have song and speech. It's one of God's gifts to us. It's no accident. I referenced Bob Coughlin earlier. He gives five reasons. Well, he gives four reasons why uh, worship through song is beneficial because of the music itself. He gave five, but I think two of them are the same. So we're going to call it four. Now, first, God is a singer. It starts with God. God is a singer. In Zephaniah chapter 3, God is singing over his people. In Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus is gathered with the congregation, and he is singing and celebrating. We already saw in Ephesians 5 that when we are filled with the Spirit, we sing. Second, God has made us. He has made us in such a way that we express praise and worship through song and poetry, not just Prose. Music expresses and engages the whole soul, the heart and the mind and the will, and it helps us worship in spirit. Third, music helps us remember words and helps us worship in truth, as long as the words that you are singing are actually true. Uh, 
If you can't remember the Ten Commandments, there's a song for that. Every few days, I hear Aaron singing to herself, Commandment number six, don't get your kicks out of killing one another. Commandment number six, don't get your kicks out of killing one another. Thank you, sweetie. Words to live by. In my case, apparently, literally. Now, if you can't remember the books of the Bible, there's a song for that, too. If I had said, turn to Zephaniah chapter 3, some of you would have been able to find that by going through the song in your head until you got to Zephaniah. Thursday night, Brianna says to me, I can't think about the fruits of the Spirit without thinking about our song from school. The Holy Spirit is not a banana, is not a banana, is not a banana. And, well, that's, that's great, as long as you can actually remember what the fruit of the Spirit is. And it's not just uh, useful for memorizing stuff and learning trivia. There are so many songs that we get to sing on a Sunday morning that are so rich with truths about God and uh, describe his person and his work. There's also a vast number of songs that we wish to avoid on a Sunday morning because they are unhelpful or unclear or worse, untrue. And so there's an amount of discernment that's required. You can't just uh, flip on the radio and assume that, hey, it's Caleb, it's going to be great. Well, it's pretty good, usually, but don't take your chances. Pay attention to what it is that you're hearing and singing. Fourth reason why we sing. It is a demonstration of our unity in the gospel when we sing together as one, and it deepens our unity as a body of Christ. Now, it's important to add this, that worship is a good gift from God, a tool that we can use, but like any tool and any gift, it has opportunity for misuse or abuse. It is a powerful tool. Every movie has a soundtrack so that the director can shape the story and condition the audience to respond in the appropriate way. And if the director gets too heavy-handed with it, then the movie is termed a melodrama because you're being hit in the face with what you're supposed to feel courtesy of the soundtrack. When worship leaders use music to focus the attention on God, who he is, what he's done, and how we should respond, that's great. But when we succumb to the temptation to uh, use music to manipulate people or influence people, control people or draw attention to ourselves, then that is very, very bad. But used properly, music and singing are good gifts from God to the church. So we got our four principles. God cares about worship. Worship is a response to him. God is at work through our worship in his word. And music is a good gift from God. How do we put them to work here? What difference does it all make? Now, right away, we can boil all that down to a simple statement of purpose that helps us know what we're aiming for and evaluate what it is that we're doing here on a practical level. And the purpose of worship is to encounter God together. People gather at the same time in the same place to actively praise him through worship and song. Congregation and leadership working together to meet God together. We enter his presence together and he is most glorified when we enjoy the time that we spend in his presence and are looking forward to it all week long. Now, when that happens, there are many possible outcomes. It depends on what scriptures were in that week, how prepared and invested we are and what the Lord chooses to do with the time that he has with us. The purpose of worship is not evangelism, right? We don't gather here for evangelism, but it could happen. Paul says Unbelievers come into your presence and it should not be surprising that they witness this encounter with God and end up convicted or even converted based on what they see. That could totally happen. The purpose of worship is not to get a shot in the arm, get your head screwed on straight, your emotions in order, get all pumped up for the week to come. 
those are all possible, good, legitimate outcomes. But you could have a sermon like last week focusing on repentance and it leaves you broken over your sin, full of sorrow and contrition and with a clear path back to the cross and a renewed, refreshed relationship with the Savior. The purpose of worship is not to chase after a uh, religious experience or a worship high, right? A a, a transcendent encounter with God is an indescribable and desirable thing. But when you start to chase that feeling, then you have left the path of worship. The purpose of worship is to encounter God himself, not any of the good secondary things that might come. Don't chase after that stuff. Chase after God. That is the purpose of worship. We can evaluate some of the practical things that we do here on a Sunday morning. I referenced uh, Bob Coughlin's book here before, Worship Matters, written for worship leaders and uh, helpful to anybody, of course. But he structures his book, the first half of it, around a single summary sentence. And I'd like us to go through it with an eye towards the practicalities. A faithful worship leader magnifies the greatness of God in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, skillfully combining God's word with music, thereby motivating the gathered church to proclaim the gospel, cherish God's presence, and to live for God's glory. Starting at the top, a worship leader is called to be faithful, right? Skill is good, and creativity is good, and experience is great, but First of all, a worship leader should be faithful because he is fulfilling a charge from God. Leading God's people in worship is a big deal. When we set out to fill this position, we determined pretty quickly this is a pastoral level responsibility. We don't want just some kid with a guitar. We need somebody who can lead God's people in worship. And that made our search longer and harder than it might have been, but also left us with the confidence that uh, Mark is qualified to lead us into an encounter with the living God. And he has our full confidence to do that. Next, we magnify the greatness of God in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is one, two, three members of the Trinity working together in our worship. God is the one that we worship. Jesus is God in the flesh, and his person and work made it possible for us to have a path back to God in the first place, a relationship with him. And the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us and illuminates our minds and gives life to our souls, puts the song of God in our hearts, gathers us into congregations, gives us the gifts that we need to worship together and serve him. Worship is our response to God's Trinitarian work in our lives here. Continuing, we skillfully combine God's word with music. God's word is how he reveals himself. The Bible is our authority for teaching and practice. We cannot worship in truth or in spirit without the Bible. We preach God's word. We pray God's word. When we have our communion meditations, the bedrock of that is God's word. When we have our welcome and announcements, we read God's word. So you can bet that when we sing, we are going to want to sing God's word. We combine it with music and we do that in a way that is skillful. And that's not just because God is glorified by skillful execution. One of our mantras around here is undistracting excellence. We want to do our work well as musicians and tech operators so that we don't draw attention to ourselves and our skills, but we minimize distractions and get out of the way of God's word and his work. If we get to the end of the worship set and somebody is saying, oh, 
the drums and the guitar solo and the smoke and the mirrors and the lasers and the interpretive dance, well, something has gone off the rails there. Because at the end of the worship set, we should be full of praise for God and not the people that are helping make that happen. If we have eight bars to fill in a song, eight bars of music to fill in a song, then we're not going to do a guitar solo. We're going to call it a scripture break because it's an opportunity to get scripture up on the screen and in the front of our minds. Skillful combination requires planning and spontaneity. It means we don't always sing only our favorite songs. If there is a song that has great, rich scriptural content and matches perfectly with the sermon, then we are going to sing that song even if we hate it. And it's going to be stuck in our head all week, right? Because it fits the sermon. It helps with the worship. And with the rotation that we've had for the last year, Jeff, Jeff was great at this, picking the songs that matched the sermon. And we've missed that degree of coordination over the last year. And we can see as Mark is getting settled in and finding his rhythm, that he's got that same knack for matching the songs to the sermon. And that is great. So, magnifying God, skillfully combining his word with music to what end? Thereby motivating the gathered church to three things. First, proclaiming the gospel as we sing these scripturally rich songs to each other. Second, cherishing his presence as we enjoy being with him. The bride of Christ celebrating being in his presence. And third, living for God's glory. Hebrews 10 says that we gather together to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So how can we be living for God's glory, worshiping him in response to this sermon? What can we do? Closing with several points of potential application. First, opinions. We talked about opinions. Everybody's got one on uh, leaders and worship and songs and styles. What we've covered should give you a framework to evaluate how tightly to cling to the opinions that you've got. Second, help Mark get off to a great start and establish a thriving ministry here. Mark is a long-time worship leader and author. And if you haven't had a chance to meet him yet, here's some information about him. He has toured nationally for years and years and years. Uh, He wrote one of the songs we sang this morning and one of the ones that we uh, sing at other times, You Are Holy, Prince of Peace. He wrote that song. That's his song. And it was a big hit back in the mid to late 90s. He's married, got four kids, one on the way, and he exceeds the technical and spiritual requirements for this role in the church. We consider it to be a pastor-level position, but you don't have to call him Pastor Mark, because as you get to know him, you'll realize he's not a title kind of guy. But he is a mature, grown-up man of God, and I've really enjoyed getting to know him personally over the last several months. But here's something strange that you should be aware of, just so that it doesn't cause you any concern or confusion down the road. Mark helped Sam Howard plant a church over in Carmel several years ago, The Gathering. The Gathering meets on Sunday nights, and that left Mark free on Sunday mornings to fill in at various churches. And we did not hesitate at the opportunity to have him fill in for us uh, through the summer and fall and winter. And when we considered making him the permanent worship leader, we, we prayed about that, and we thought about that, and we discussed that, and we determined we did not have a problem with him being the worship leader at two different congregations at the same time. But the thing is, they've been at that church in Carmel for years. His kids are plugged in there. His wife is plugged in there. We don't want to tear them away from a church they're in. That's their church. So we don't expect to see them here very often on a Sunday morning, especially when he has to get here at 8 o'clock coming from Lebanon. Same reason, we're not likely to see them in a small group, and that's okay. It's just too far, and they already have a church. 
Even though it's an unusual situation, uh, we can see that it seems to be uh, the right fit, the right man for the right role at the right time, and we decided after prayer and discussion to go for it. And one way you can help Mark and his ministry here is just to be aware of that, to be understanding that that's the situation uh, that, that we're in, and that's fine. Don't let it bother you, and give him plenty of encouragement because he has a lot on his plate. So, what else can you do? Serve. It takes a lot of volunteers to create the proper environments to have an encounter with God. We need sound operators. We need computer operators. We need lighting operators. We need greeters to greet. We need servers to serve. We need two people, always two people to count the money. We need somebody to uh, keep an eye on things and provide security. We need many teachers to uh, handle the age-appropriate worship and teaching that's that's happening in the kids' hallway. And especially... You may have noticed we need musicians, right? We need drummers and bass players. Mitchell is off on his uh, basic training vacation at Fort Leonard Wood. We won't see him until summer. Ian is going to betray us, get married, move to Delaware with his wife. He's going to be gone soon. We need drummers and bass players. If you played way back when. And now is the time to pick it up again and join the worship team. If you've always thought that it might be fun to learn and cool to play an instrument, I don't know how cool you'll be, but it is time to put that desire to work in the Lord's service. And we can hook you up with lessons. Some weeks, it is great to go simple and straightforward and have Erica and Mark and the guitar. Other weeks, we like to have the option of having a full band because that's, that's a good option to have. Second to last, prepare. Sunday mornings are an encounter with God, so prepare accordingly. A personal illustration here, Aaron and I have... And we strive to have a date day each week. Some folks do it in the evening uh, with our season of life and our schedule. It makes more sense for us to do that middle of the day, usually on a Friday. Now, if I uh, treat that time as sacred and plan for it with eager expectation and preparation and longing and excitement and looking forward to it, and then I get a good night's rest and I uh, treat it as a special occasion, then it's wonderful and it goes well. But... If I treat that time as optional or uh, ordinary or expendable, I fill that time with routine errands and finances and taking care of the house and parenting and that stuff, then it does not give Aaron honor as my wife. Now, can you see the point here? When you treat the Sunday morning worship experience, the encounter with God, as something that is an optional event that exists to serve your needs only and does not require your preparation, punctuality, or participation, then you are not worshiping in spirit and in truth, right? And you are making a mockery of God. If you want to make the most out of this experience, then prepare for it. Every Friday, Nancy sends out the email, and it usually has the sermon text in it. So read that and prepare to come and worship with God's people. Rest well. Get a good night's rest on Saturday night. As much as it depends on you, to the extent that you're able, arrive on time. Now, if you live with other people, especially small people, I know that can be challenging. But to the degree that it depends on you, arrive on time to early. Put your phone away during the worship time. You think that we can't see you, but we can. And it's disheartening to us, and it's embarrassing for you. So, so don't, don't do that. You could even spend time during the week Preparing to be with God's people. Spend time in his word, looking forward to worshiping with his people. Because if the only time that you are in God's word, worshiping him is on Sunday morning, then your Christian life will starve. 
Now, it doesn't come naturally, right? Before we learned to worship Christ, we all worshipped something different, something self-related. And it takes, that's, that's our natural bent. And it takes effort to stretch our muscles to exercise our spiritual life in a different direction. But it's an effort worth making, especially uh, because you can see progress over time. Now, the last application uh, might be the most obvious, but it's also the one that requires the most uh, sensitivity because it might be the most uh, challenging to hear. All right. The last application is show up, be here, right? Make a regular practice of gathering with God's people on a Sunday morning. And I totally understand that there are wet, cold, dark, rainy mornings where you wake up and you think, I don't want to go. I, I want to stay in. Come and join God's people in worship. When the elders look at our attendance numbers and patterns over the last few years, you know, some families come, some families go. We haven't lost an inordinate number of families. But what we can see is that there are a number of families that used to be coming 50 weeks a year and are now coming 35 weeks a year. Now, wherever you are, in town or out of town, make a priority of being with God's people and gathering with them to worship him. Now, there's a difference between cold, wet, rainy, I don't want to go, and on the other hand, it's been six months since I've wanted to go. I, I desire to want to worship God. I just don't. And that's a, a different situation. And if that's you, or there's been times when it has been you, and there's been times when it's been me, or it might be you in the future, which is everybody, then there's a lot that could be said, especially from the Psalms. But we'll, we'll leave it at, at this. God has made us in such a way that usually the heart follows the head. So think of it like uh, building a fire. You gather your kindling and then you put it in the fireplace. So, so set your mind on true things about God, things that are praiseworthy. Gather your kindling together and then put your kindling in the fireplace. Get your body in church with God's people where worship is going to be happening. You gather your kindling, you put it in the fireplace, and then you pray. Uh, pray that God will reignite a flame in your soul that will never go out or grow dim. Uh, gather with his people. Uh, expect him to work through his word and work through his people the way he has promised and see what happens. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can come to you. That because of what Jesus did on the cross, our, uh, our sins are removed and our swear jar is filled to overflowing and we can have a uh, warm, loving, fatherly relationship with you. And thank you that we can gather with your people to celebrate what it is that you have done and are continuing to do through us. Thank you for working through your word. Thank you for working through your people. And thank you for being at work this morning. We praise you for all that you have done. And we thank you for giving your word and your son and your people to us. You are the Lord, the famous one. Great is your name in all the earth. The heavens declare you are glorious. Great is your fame beyond the earth. And for all you've done and yet to do with every breath, we're praising you. Desire of nations in every heart, you are beautiful. You are the Lord, the famous one. Great is your name in all the earth. The heavens declare you are glorious. Great is your fame beyond the earth. Amen.